You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by ProGold. Matt being a dick by eating a hot and ready pizza in front of me, and ProGold again. (laughs) No, not really. Matt's not that much of a dick. Uh, anyway, yeah, Kenny brought over a hot and ready pizza, uh, and before he ate it all, Matt just stole a slice. I'm going to refrain from eating pizza because uh, I uh, I don't need pizza. Vapor Trail has a big hill on it. Yeah, I heard there's a climb at, at Vapor Trail, so i I got to refrain from eating the pizza tonight. Uh, <clears throat> we have another action-packed show tonight. Uh, first off, just because... I started the show, and that means I'm in control of the first topic. I want to say that I raced a really fun crit over the weekend. So here's your road race content. It's for, called mountain bike radio, not road bikes are fun, idiot. Well, that's how I get fast on a mountain bike is by riding my road bike. That's one of the ways, anyway. But uh, So there was this uh, criterion, and if you don't know what a criterion is, I suggest you Google it. It's a little bit like... NASCAR on a bike is how most people describe it. It's a short lap. It's a mile or so. It's short track on the road. Yeah, it's like a short track race on the road. That's that's much better. Um, so. Or a cross race on pavement with no barriers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one too. Not quite as technical as a cross course. It's kind of like a mountain bike race. <laughs> but you're not on a mountain bike. You're on like, a road bike. There's not as many like corners and like roots and dirt and stuff. Yeah, it's like asphalt. it's like someone paved over some dirt, and then you race your bikes on that pavement. Um, but yeah, so I I did this crit and uh, I raced really hard and I won five hundred dollars and that's awesome. Um, it was the, the thing that brought me out there though, uh, and I know we, we've talked about this in the past and I just want to bring it up again because it's awesome. Um, some of the promoters in Nash, the race promoters in Nashville are doing an excellent job of growing women's uh, racing out in that area. Um, yeah, I mean, especially road racing, not quite as much on the mountain bike side, but I mean, you get people started bike racing and they, they fall into whichever sport they, they like the best eventually. Um, so, you know, there, it was an equal payout race. So the pro one, two, three men, and the pro one, two, three, and actually they allowed cat four women into the race if they wanted to do it, but they also offered a category four women's race separately, which is also a really, really good way to keep women interested in the sport is to not make them race against people that are just like outlandishly faster than they are. What are you technically rated as, as road? Are you one? I am a category one road racer. Okay. Um, that is a lot different than a Category 1 mountain biker. Were you pro um, there for a little bit? Yes. Well, I didn't ever have a pro license. Um, I do in mountain biking now. Um, so with, to be a Category 1 road racer, you actually have to have a lot of experience, um, and especially uh, on the men's side because there are, at the larger races, there are pro and Cat 1 events where you as a cat one can race with professionals um they're very very stingy with those upgrades so it's not like being a cat one mountain bike racer where as long as you've done enough of them you know you don't necessarily have to win a lot or win at all um you know it's really just kind of having experience 
riding a mountain bike. Um, it's not really like that with the roadside of things. Um, you have to have a whole lot of experience. You have to prove that you can keep up and all that stuff. And you know, it's it's a little different. But anyway, um, so yeah, the the pro one two three women and the pro one two three men raced for the same prize purse. Um, so that was really cool. And there's in Nashville there is a very very um, well, there are a couple, there are at least three very talented teams out there. I know there's more than that out there. I and mean, there's lots of, like, one one and two, like, you know, women that were just, they didn't really have a teammate out there or anything. But there are some very, very talented women out there, some really good bike racers. Um, you know, if you if you watched it and you didn't know, if you didn't know it was women racing, you'd think it was a men's race. You know, it, it was definitely, a, we had lots of comments that it was exciting to watch and, you know. All that good stuff, and I won five hundred dollars, so that was cool. How much did you? Uh, how much did you win by? Like, how did it go down the last like lap? Or two? <clears throat> um, there was thirty minutes into the race, they called a cream, which is just uh, they'll say on the next lap, the winner of the next lap gets a, a prize, and it's like a smaller prize. And this was for a seventy-five dollar no, this was a twenty-five dollar like twenty-five dollars cash. They said you know. First across the line, next lap, you get $25 cash. And someone sprinted for it, and I counterattacked that, which is, if you've ever, <laughs> anyone who, who I've road raced against um, knows that that's, that's something that I do a lot of. And it, it works really, really well because usually the fastest people are the ones that are like, yeah, I'm going to try and sprint for that. And so they just sprinted and kind of like shot wad a little bit and so you take advantage of that and attack them when they're a little tired. And I did that and ended up with like two, like after she got the preem or before. Yeah, yeah, like this there were So you let her take the $25 preem yeah, to yeah. wear herself. Well, out. it was actually several women sprinting for it. I okay. mean, this was this was like a field full of ballers. I mean, this wasn't just like one fast person and a bunch of like pack bill. Um, yeah, so they went for it and then I counterattacked it and there were just two women that stayed with me. Um, they were on different teams, um, but they had teammates in the field behind us. And their teammates pretty much um, just kind of sat back there and just didn't chase us down. Um, you know, so that, that was that was actually very luxurious, being in a breakaway where you didn't have to totally turn yourself inside out the entire time. Um, and then on the, you know, so we, we worked that. We got, um, I mean, we probably had a minute and a half on the field uh, by the end of the race. And on the last lap, um, I attacked the second to last corner. It was a little bit of a, you had like a roundabout that you went around. And you went up a sweeping left-hand turn, like a little uphill. And then it's a little downhill and another roundabout and then the long straightaway to the finish. And uh, I attacked going up into that um, sweeping left-hand turn. And because I had noticed that one of the girls wasn't that great going up the hill. I mean, when I say not that great, she was. it was very, very subtle, but I could tell she was just, it was hurting her just a tiny, tiny bit. Um, and the other girl wasn't taking the best line through the downhill roundabout part. And once again, it was really subtle. I mean, she was confident going through it she just wasn't taking like you know she could have improved her line by six inches you know <laughs> um so I attacked there and just really went through that turn irresponsibly fast and uh 
sprinted as hard as I could and ended up staying uh, about half a bike length away. Like they were chasing me down and just didn't catch me. If the finish line had been another maybe 10 meters up, they might have caught me. But that, that's how it went down. It was exciting. Very cool. Yeah, it was fun. So uh, let's go ahead and get to our topics tonight then, now that I've had a chance to talk about road racing. Matt, you had the list. And I am updating the list that I'll send back to uh, Mr. Mountain Bike Radio himself when we're done. So, uh, the another thing that will kind of sneak into the list, because this is a, a real person's real question today, uh, Todd Chisholm sent Andrea a question today that said, I've heard Matt refer to a time when he felt like he was one of the fastest slow guys and the slowest fast guys. I wonder, or wondering if the JRA gang can discuss what it takes to get over the hump. I can go to the front of the races with the lead group for 7 to 10 miles, only to blow up in the second half of the race and finish somewhere in the middle of the field. Is there a specific training zone I need to be focusing on, or is it simply a matter of more training volume and higher intensities? Um, Todd, a couple of things to think about. We'll start at the bottom and kind of work up. Uh, when you ask, is there a specific training zone you need to be focusing on, or is it simply a matter of more training volume and higher intensities? Unfortunately, I have no idea who you are, and if I should, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but more importantly, I don't know what your, your capabilities and most specifically your, your strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, I don't know if you're a huge hammer and a terrible technical rider, they can only stay with those guys for 10 miles because you have to break so much because you're so bad at turning, but then you hammer jammer back to them and you repeat that for 10 miles until you blow up. Or I don't know if you're like going to kill some downhill race next weekend on your hardtail 29er, but you're just not strong enough to pedal with them and you turn yourself inside out for 10 miles. And by that point you feel like you're going to like short your chamois and you, you like, slow down because like you got a little stain forming i mean i don't i don't know the answer to that so yes it's going to be more training i just don't know if it's going to be more training with like a focus on raising your threshold and raising your your abilities at threshold um or, or he may just need to eat more well i was gonna say I mean, or if you're if you're there. bad at riding or yeah like andrea said are you just bonking um but yeah, if, if you have like a Gatorade with you for a Cat 1 mountain bike race, like that's probably a bad plan. Um, but something I can definitively say is the biggest thing you need to stop doing is racing with the fast guys. The way to get over that hump is you can't take off with the fast guys for 10 miles if you know you're going to blow up in, at mile 11. You can only ride with those fast guys for one or two miles. And then you have to resume your own race pace. What you've done at that point is you've taken two miles to solidify your lead over the mid-packers, and you need to go fast for the rest of the race. You can't go out at 110% of your ability and then blow up and try to limp in on 50% of your ability. I did that some, and that really hurt me. But what I did is I, I learned to go out hard enough that I got away from all the people I didn't want to deal with, I didn't want to be around, and and more, I guess you could say, technically like racing with. Um, I bet if you looked at a 50-mile race for me, um, and let's take me and Kenny, uh, Solo's Revenge, the first 15 miles, I went faster than Kenny, 
And the last 35 miles, Kenny and I went the same speed. So whatever I finished ahead of Kenny by, I solidified that in the first 15 miles of that trail. And then the last 35 miles, I maintained that. Yeah, and that's always, I've used that strategy as well, uh, just depending on who I'm racing, if I kind of know who it is. Um, that that does work very well. Like, if you know the people you're racing against, and you're like, well, these particular guys always beat me by a, a minute or two. Get out ahead of those guys, get to where they can't see you, and then go the same speed as those guys. Right. Um, and And what you have to do is, you have to you have to be comfortable enough and confident enough to know that you can ride at 105% of your ability for two miles, or let's just say 10% of the race or something, let's, I don't know, a quarter of the race even. You're going to ride slightly over yourself for a little bit. You're going to dial it back for a couple of minutes. You're going to stuff your face, and then you're going to go back to 95%. And hopefully what you'll be able to do over the remaining, let's just say, 70% or 60 or even 50% of the race, is you'll come across people that are blowing up out of the front group. Um, my six-hour race that I did really well at early this year, that's, that's what I did, is I went out at a pace that was just pretty normal. And then in the last two laps, I just annihilated people because as they started slowing down, I just stayed on the gas and stayed on the gas and stayed on the gas, and it... Like, I would pass people left and right. Like, I was back and forth with people, and they would, like, suddenly were lap five of what turned into a six-lap race for all but a couple of people, and they're, they're like, dying. You know, they're, they're like, falling off, dying. They're, like, cramping on the side of the trail. And, you know, you're just, like, rolling on through because you've been riding where you're comfortable. Um, and kind of back to the beginning, I'm sorry. I don't know the exact thing to tell you, but I – because I don't know your strengths and weaknesses, but that is something, that's a place to start. Yeah, that's a, like your pacing strategy like that is really good. Mm -hmm. and, and like Matt said, you know, we don't know what you're bad at doing. Um, you did mention what he like does a video, a trainer video. If he sent you more stuff after 11 Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he did, he did. Um, he uses, hold on, let me look it up. Come on, internet. Go faster. He does intervals on the trainer at least twice a week using trainerroad.com. And uh, because I'm a terrible host, I did not look at trainerroad.com to see exactly what he's doing. Um, but I would say if there is a type of interval on there that you feel as though you are terrible at doing and you hate it, like you hate it with every fiber of your being, that's probably the type of interval you should be doing. Like, I hate 20-minute intervals. I, I want to stab them in the eye. I want to electrocute them, and I, <laughs> I hate them. But the more I do 20-minute intervals, the faster I get because that's what I need to work on is that type of power. So, you know, and, and that's something that um, you can kind of use my general guideline of what – what do you feel like you're bad at doing? Um, a coach can help a lot there. Um, even if it's just a very general training plan, like one of those kind of canned things where they do some very general fitness testing and then give you some recommendations or give you, you know, a very general plan. Um, if 
following a plan is a good idea. It keeps you consistent. Um, um, another good thing, you can get uh, Joel Friel's <laughs> Time Crunch Cyclist <laughs> Training Plan. Uh, it's, a, it's a book. Unfortunately, the only downfall of the book is it's way too hard to read. Uh, for, <laughs> no joke, for Time Crunch Cycling, the Time Crunch Cyclist that they describe in the book, I don't know who the fuck has enough time to, to read. read that book. Like, the book is... I think it gives you too much. Um, there's another thing you can check out, Fast Cat Coaching. They do a lot of blogs, um, and you can probably sneak some stuff out of there. Training Peaks, they do blogs where you can probably sneak some stuff out of there. Uh, and really, if you're not doing any structured training now, just start doing things and, and do them. Um, obviously, I'm going to say this, but I ride a power meter on my road bike and my mountain bike. I think they're great. I think power they, meters are pretty awesome. Uh, they're really expensive, but they are really good training tools. They'll tell you a lot. Um, stages is going to be the cheapest and the easiest to install, the least invasive to your bike. It's also going to have the lowest price point and the shortest warranty. So um, you might want to invest in a cork for your road bike. Uh, I personally think I would. I, I really like the cork. I, I really like their customer service and everything. But that's a, that's a big investment. Um, if you don't have a heart rate monitor, start there. Start riding with a heart rate monitor. Um, and start doing some stuff to get aware of yourself and figuring out what your your weaknesses are. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you yeah, if you're not using any sort of monitor, um, like even a heart rate monitor, then definitely start using that to figure out figure out your training zones. You can. Um, if you do get that Time Crunch Cyclist book, doesn't it have some recommendation about how you can kind of like test yourself to figure out your training zones? Yeah, I mean, it definitely yeah. gives you like testing protocols and everything. So it. that's going to be really important. Um, if you do want to do some structured training, um, you have to have something to base that off of. You have to know where you're starting. Uh, like Matt said, a power meter is going to be the most accurate, but a heart rate monitor um, is better than nothing. Um, unless you've just been riding forever and you know, you know, every, you can tell what your heartbeat is just by like stopping and thinking for a second, you know. I have to say that's a fun game to play when I get a little bit bored, especially on the road. <laughs> I wonder what my heart rate is. No, like I'll be going and I'll be like, okay, my heart rate is 155 and I'll look down and see how close I am. Yeah, that's actually a really good game to play. I mean, I know you're just trying to keep yourself occupied, but that's it's good to be able to, you know, note, read yourself like that. Yeah, that's that's not a bad thing to do. Um, I I only know two heart rate, not pedaling hard enough and bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So Todd, that's 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 what we got for you. Like I said, unfortunately, we don't know you, so we can't help you more. If you do know more and you want more, you can always call in to the show. Uh, what's the number? 646-595-4113. And all of us here at Just Riding Along would love to answer your questions. Um, so call us. If we have more info, we can, it, the more we know you, the more we can tell you. So, um, yeah. So I got something interesting on heart rate, maybe. Okay. Maybe it's not interesting at all. Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> <laughs> we both said that. <laughs> uh, no, I just wanted to bring some personal experience in that I've noticed over the past couple months. I've been able to get my max heart rate higher than I have before. And I don't know what that means. If that's like a good training conditioning thing or if it means I'm just going slower with more heart rate or 
uh, or what, what that means. But I'm talking about a really short stint, like less than a minute. Yeah. Absolute max effort. I've been able to go up about four or five beats over the past maybe six months to a year. More than likely, you're getting more efficient at trying hard. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So that typically, right. I can give you the physiologist answer. Um, if you were to, I'd say however long ago, you're kind of basing this off of two years ago, if you did a like a graded exercise test in a lab, your true max heart rate would likely have been higher then than it is now. Um, and there's a couple of reasons because it tends to go down as you get older, um, though in athletic populations it does not go down as much as you get older. Um, it also tends to go down a little as you get more fit. Um, so, you know, just that you're, the fact that you're able to reach it more now, uh, I'd say that before you just weren't trying hard enough. Probably. But it almost, made, <laughs> it almost made me worried, though, that, like, am I getting less efficient? You know what I mean? Like, No, I think you're just getting better at going harder. Like, you can, you just suffer better. I noticed it more, and it makes more sense that you say it. I've noticed it more on the road bike than I have on the mountain bike. Yeah, and you probably, did you notice it, like, on a group ride or something where you were just, like, trying to keep up really hard? and It wasn't so much of that. Um, it was during sprints on the road bike, obviously, mm -hmm. because I, it wasn't just me just doing some sustained effort until I just failed. Yeah. It was like a last sprint thing where I kind of knew, hey, this is the last thing we're going to do, and it's just to wrap up the ride. Yeah, um, yeah. And my, it's gone up quite a bit. So I'm able to go over 200 now. And you probably, I don't know, did you do that kind of thing before? Like, if you're... I, I would. I definitely would. Um, I mean, even on mountain bikes, especially doing intervals. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just I thought it was interesting. You know, I, think, I, I think now you're just better at going harder. I think it's more the yeah. I think you're probably right that I'm better at at going harder. You know. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, and and just to clarify, um, reaching your max heart rate, like going as hard as you can and making your heart go to as fast as it will be, will not hurt you unless you have some sort of um, underlying heart condition. If you have a normal heart and you're a healthy person, um, it is not dangerous at all. It's just uncomfortable. Matt, what's next? So next up, uh, Lemire or Lemire Bikes. Um, if you want to check them out, you can go to LemireCycles.com. That's L-A-M-E-R-E-C-Y-C-L-E-S.com. For someone that is so blatant and truthful about being a a China Carbon knockoff. Uh, they are doing a very, very ballsy job. They have a really good-looking Trek speed concept that's not made by Trek. They have <laughs> a uh, what looks to be like a, a Borealis Yampa. Um, again, obviously not made by Borealis. They have a uh, Cannondale Scalpel 27.5 and 29er and uh, a good-looking hardtail and a good-looking road bike. Uh, yeah, so... I'm not necessarily saying that maybe you should go out and buy one of these. I don't know anything about them, but as far as just like having the balls and like laying your it sack. Does, yeah, it does say like the first paragraph on the website is we import carbon frames directly from the top Asian factories that make nearly all the world's carbon frames. So, I mean, they're not beating around the bush. They're not acting like their shit doesn't stink. They're not acting like they're some boutique brand. They're selling $900 carbon hardtails. They're selling 
carbon 29er frames with no shock. They're selling $1,000 road frame and forks. They're selling $1,800 carbon frame and fork 29ers or fat bikes. They're selling $1,600 TT bikes that come with like a full cockpit and a seat post and everything. I mean, if you're if you're wanting to keep up with the Joneses, but you really do they have a warranty? Uh, lifetime. Oh. Did you already talk about it? Are they a U.S. company that's just getting stuff manufactured over there? It's or like, no? That's what Andrew said. First paragraph on their homepage is just like, we import this junk from Asia where all the bikes are made and oh, we sell they don't it. don't have stack and reach on here. We sell it where we can, you know, how we think we should. So. Interesting. Sorry, I was just looking at, like, the sizing on their bikes and they don't have stack and reach. It's okay. That's um, bad. So, I just think that's really cool. Um, it's a really say like, uh, everybody, this is what we're doing. So the next time you go and plunk down all that hard earned money on a bike, remember, even though these guys aren't as big of a company and you can start to talk about R and D and tech and all this, uh, they're not going to sell as many bikes in all of their models this year as, as some big companies sell in one of their bikes this year. So think about your, your cost of stuff there. Um, I've been looking at full, I know I said this just the other day, I'm not going to get a full suspension 29 or blah, blah. I've been thinking about it more and more and more. And it's one of those things I look at, and I have a really hard time imagining how this, this carbon fiber bike frame is worth. That's a scalpel. <laughs> no, that's a Lemire. That's what we were talking what about. What do you do? That's a scalpel. That's what we were talking about while you were off getting beer. Like, they sell a scalpel frame for $1,100 without a shock. Like. But it's not a scalpel because it has a pivot in the back. It doesn't flex. So it's pivoted at the same The 29er scalpel has a pivot. The, not the carbon one. The carbon, um, which one of their bikes does. Crap, I don't remember which one. Now. I thought the carbon 29er had a pivot. It doesn't it, have it, one here. It's got one here. Okay, it's yeah. Got a so the, the, old, uh, that's, that's what I meant. the old 26-inch one had no pivot. Like it, it had them where the shock linkages were. It was like a soft tail on them. Exactly. Yeah, it was a yeah. soft tail. Yeah. And they broke a lot. They broke a lot, yeah. yeah. Granted, the dude... carbon didn't break. It was because the carbon was glued to other shit. That doesn't work. It was screwed to like squirrel hair. <laughs> there was a dude that rode one at uh, at Transylvania the year that I did it um, last year. Dude, I mean, he did well. He when they, when they don't the break, they do all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he didn't, he didn't break it, which I was surprised. So uh, that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. I I heard about their bikes a while back when I was out in Colorado, and I finally got around to looking them up and finally put them on the the list of things to talk about. Just because, like I said, it's not necessarily ballsy, but it is very. Are those, are those wheels on that uh, scalpel esque bike carbon or? They have carbon wheels, but they don't bring a ton of them in. I read somewhere they had some that were like prototypes, and it, they're not on their website right now. So um, I don't know, and I don't I don't have any relation with them at all, so I don't know much about it. Um, it says they do, but I couldn't find wheels on their website. Just click on wheels. Oh fuck! <laughs> I looked somewhere else to try to find wheels and didn't find wheels. <laughs> you should always. It's, click. Hit, it's hidden no, there. No, no, no. I'm it's, sorry. It's, I'm it's sorry. Right at the top in the main menu. I'm sorry. If you go back to. On their front page, they talk about, like, bars and stems and seat posts, and I couldn't find those. I could only find frames and wheels. I'm sorry. I knew something was missing. There's no parts. Okay. Um, Lemire is based in Minneapolis, says Mountain Bike Radio on Twitter. There you go. 
So it's so cold there in the wintertime. They have to do something. Is there like an about us or something? Yeah. I mean, you can go to their website and check it all out. I mean, we probably, we probably shouldn't read the internet to people. I think that they can all read. If you can't read, call me and I will be happy to read this to you. My best William Shatner impression. Um, <laughs> but do Patrick Stewart. I don't. Don't do Patrick Stewart. I'll sing it to him like I'm Eminem. <laughs> he doesn't sing, he raps. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so that's Lemire Bikes. Check them out. If you have one, I would love to hear about your experience, uh, good or bad. Um, you can send an email to um, Ben at Mountain Bike Radio, and he'll forward it over to me, which is Matt at Mountain Bike Radio. I don't I don't think anybody else cares about it, so I don't think they, they want to get your email. Oh, hey, we can do this kind of stuff. If anybody out there has a 26-inch carbon fork with disc mounts, I'm interested in it. One and an eighth straight steer tube, open dropout. Carbon rigid? Carbon rigid fork. With disc? With disc. What for? My bar bike. Just trying to make it light? It's getting baller. I just built some new wheels for it. <laughs> what are they? DT240s. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you waste those hubs on that bike? Uh, I found them. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. How did you get those hubs for free, Kenny? <laughs> I just, them. I just want to keep, we'll, we'll keep going. I found them. I found some old, it just, it was like a happen chance thing. I was cleaning out the warehouse and I found some 28 hole Mavic Crosslands from like 1987 and some DT2, well, ADT240 rear, 28 hole. Oh, I know where that came from. Oh, really? Well, I ordered that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and QVP did, was the hugest dickhead about it. Ever. Oh, really? One part number apart, 130 versus 135 OLD, and it was on sale like 7%, and they wouldn't take it back. They're like, we don't return sale items. I'm like, you can take like 50% off. I'm like, I can't sell this. I can't do any. I don't care. They were like, that's not my problem. Wow. I was like, it looked like old. Like the box is all beat up and stuff. I have info on that as well. Uh, Okay. I know I know where that hub was and why, and I can tell you about that. Oh, uh, funny stuff. Well, anyway, so the bar bike's getting more baller just because it's getting way too nice. It's it getting can. way too nice. Mikey Gordon says, talk about the power of sweet potatoes. Uh, maybe. Sweet potatoes are delicious. I, I make I bake a mess of them all at once, and we eat them as leftovers throughout the next day or two, and they're they're great. You can put eggs on them, or you can just eat them with butter. You can have Creole shrimp, fried shrimp. <laughs> What's our next question? I just want to talk about an experience I had last week where I rode with a junior. Um, he hadn't done much mountain biking. It was his third mountain bike ride. He's 16? He's 16. Um, I don't know if he listens to the show, but this is about you, Joseph. Um, so he shows up at my house. He tells me his seat height is, and I quote, about three inches lower than yours. <laughs> I move my seat down exactly three inches, like with a tape measure, because I don't know, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to move my seat down three inches. It was within five. So he borrowed a bike. He was riding my bike. Oh, okay. He was riding my single speed. He doesn't own a little bit bike. big for him? I mean, because oh. he's shorter than you. Yeah, but his seat height, he told me three inches shorter than yours. Right. Okay. His seat height was, was within five millimeters of where it needed to be. All right. Like, he didn't move it. He didn't complain. He didn't say a word about it. Like, and I watched him pedal, and he, like, pedaled, like, smooth as butter. It's so ridiculous. 
He like knew his seat height based off my seat height, even though he's never seen my bike in person, like intimately looking at it. Um, so we go out for a ride, and this little fucker is fast. Like he doesn't even realize it, and he's fast. Like he has no idea what he's doing, so he just rides everything, and he's like 16 and doesn't care. So um, it was really enjoyable to go on a ride with him because he had so much fun even though we had a pretty basic ride he loved it he's like i want to go again let's go um so my thing my what i would like to encourage you to do is dust out your old bike and uh let some juniors start riding it because it's really cool it's like the best part of parenting i would assume like you're having a great time with the future of With America. A young person? Uh, but the really cool part is you get to give that kid back when you're done doing the stuff you like, and you don't have to help them with their laundry. You don't have to, like, change their diapers. Um, I know that some people... still wear his diapers? I mean, like, you've never had to change their diapers. Like, like <laughs> you know, there's no... There's no, like, well... I don't know what I'm getting at. I do, but... It, it's really neat. It's, it's a lot of fun. You should do it. If, if you ride, which if you listen to this show, I assume you do. Um take a young one out for a ride they're they're just like full of energy and rambunctiousness so do it and help more people enjoy riding and and have a a good relationship with bikes and the trails and riding on the road and being courteous to motorists and show foster like a a better cycling future for us so that's that's what i recommend yeah that was my like and if you don't want to do that you can always find your local high school mountain bike league and uh, go volunteer um, you don't actually have to touch kids or be around them that much in that sense. You can just go be like a course marshal or something or, you know, help pick up trash, help them set up. I kind of like that way better. It's fine. <laughs> um, There's a mosquito over here that's fucking up my day. Well, you like, should get out your electric flashwater and get him. Have you ever blown one up before? A mosquito? Yeah. How? You can, it doesn't always work, but I have done it and it, I validated it. If one look, bites you, that one just bit me like right there, and then another spot on my leg. If one bites you, especially on the leg, if you just flex your leg really hard, you can get their little, their little straw thing stuck in there. <laughs> their straw thing. And it gets stuck in there, and they start expanding like really fast, and they eventually explode. You've done that. I've done that. I don't believe you. I've done it. So sometimes you can just do it, especially on the leg. I don't know why. I guess it's just with, like a stronger muscle. Um, but like on the arm, you can kind of like if you. You have to perfect it, but you can, like, squeeze in on him as he's in there, and you can flex. And that way you can't get out. I'm serious. You need to try it. Uh, I will. It is I, hilarious. If I catch it. They fill up, like, surprisingly fast. <laughs> well, they're, like, they, they're, their capacity is, like, a milliliter. Yeah. I mean, like, full-on flex. <laughs> like, just, like, oh. Well, you know I like to flex. Yeah. It would be hilarious. You need to do it. I will if I get the chance. That thing is still flying around over here biting the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, also on deck for today, uh, um, Rock Shock. I don't know if you... Uh, cat fight. No fighting in the mountain bike radio room. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, Rock Shock, uh, a couple of years ago, they moved away from having that nice notch in the the arch of the fork to having a screw you have to fully remove 
in order to take the brake hose off the fork. And that's a terrible idea. Those things strip out. Uh, they're really delicate. You're kind of having to cram it through that plastic piece and turn it so it's really easy to cross thread and strip the fork, which renders the whole deal useless. And I know that I've done that to my personal fork. I know that you're going to say, well, like, well, you switch back and forth from rigid to suspension, and I'm going to say, well, fuck you, um, <laughs> because I want to do that, and that should not be, like, worrying about stripping out this really hard to use little piece on my fork shouldn't shouldn't be my worry and uh, i think kenny's had some issues with that at the shop is that right i mean one or two i mean but still like you kind of feel bad like i don't like tiny 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 screws on anything like industry nine the original industry nine hubs i hated those things they had that little Allen just because they had those tiny little allens like it's it there are the there's so many other ways you can do it and it just drives me nuts like anybody can put a tiny ass little screw in something but it's just, I hate those things. I hate tiny screws. They belong in, like, campy shifters, and that's about it. They actually don't have that small of a shifter. Yeah, I was going to say, campy shifters don't them. really have... I just, have I just imagine that tiny little screws are in campy shifters. No. You've never rebuilt one? No, I don't, I don't do that shit. I throw them away. But you can rebuild them. No, you can't. Dude, rebuilding campy shifters is awesome. Shimano Tiagra. You have to give it the that's magic... That's the replacement. You give it the magic finger. <laughs> You have to do the magic finger, like uh, you stick your finger up inside the shifter body. And you no, can... I've messed with like replacing little like spring thingies and stuff in them before. I just, uh, anyway, it was just an analogy that I had in my head that really, really tiny screws belonged in weird exotic Italian crap. Ah, gotcha. Um, like I imagine that Ferrari motors have like tiny little, <laughs> tiny little Allens that aren't actually like a regular metric size. They're like, you know, they use like a the head of it's like an eight and a half millimeter <laughs> or something, just because. Just because. Just because. Um, staying on the RockShox thing, but switching gears, um, I rode a RockShox fork again this weekend, and uh, I thought it rode like crap, and I was thinking I needed to add some RockShox air sleeve tokens to it, um, which changed the progressivity the progressiveness. Progressiveness, I believe. I like uh, progressivity. Progressivity sounds a lot, a lot fancier. Um, it changes how progressive the air spring in your uh, RockShox fork is, and they have those for 32 and 40 millimeter forks, right? Oh, I don't know. I think they have them for all of them. What is there? 32, 36, 40? Uh, RockShox is 32, 35, and 40. Okay, but they have them for all, yeah, of them. all the sizes, yeah. Uh, what they do is you take your you take the cap off of your air side. So to take the air out, out of your fork before you do that so you don't lose an eye. <laughs> because that top cap will be a little, like, 10-gram missile. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, um, and when you take the air out, it's probably not a bad idea to, yeah, take it all out. That's a, that's a very good idea, <laughs> And, then, <laughs> and, we and you weren't even gonna take take the air out when you put yours in. You know, I hadn't gotten that far yet. If we didn't say that, like nine people would die next week. Oh man, uh, you just take the, the the air out of the fork. Don't take any air out, and you need to take <laughs> it off with an impact wrench as quickly as possible. You should actually, in order uh, for it to come out faster, you need to put more air in. <laughs> No. Yeah. Pump it up to like no, two no. You need to get your buddy to bottom out the fork and fully pressurize it while you take it out with an impact wrench <laughs> is what you want to do. What I was going to say is 
more than likely you have a dual air fork and I would recommend letting the pressure out of the fork and maybe cycling it a little bit which should help re-equalize the pressure and then let some air out again. Wouldn't, don't you think that'd be even super safe? I usually just go back and forth between letting, like I'll let all the air out of the top and then let the air out of the bottom. And there's make not sure a there's, bottom anymore. You said dual air. So on I a, meant solo air dual oh, chambers. Okay. Sorry, when there's oh, two okay. chambers. You said, one, you said dual air. If I, you, if you have a dual air fork and you take all the air only out of the upper chamber, you're going to know it because your fork is going to completely shrink and travel. Right. And you're not actually going to hurt anything. Like if it shrinks and travel and you take off that top cap, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to like lose an eyeball. It's just your fork's going to be hunkered down. So it's really not a big deal. But when you set everything back up again, you're supposed to set up the positive chamber first and the negative chamber second if you have a true dual air fork. If you have a solo air fork and you take all the air out of the positive chamber, your fork is still going to shrink and travel. And if that bothers you, then you're going to have to take the 5 mil volt off the bottom, and there's a little Schrader valve hidden in there, and you can hit it. Mm. But that doesn't matter, so I wouldn't even worry about it. So if you have a fork that was made 2013 or newer, and it's a Reba or, or better, if it's a Reba or SID, um, it's going to be a – it's still technically a dual air, but it's only got one fill valve up at the top. So, that's the deal. So, you just drop a little token in, and then you screw the cap back on, and you air the fork back up, right? It's that and don't just, like, drop it in. Don't, like, let it – it doesn't just, like, float around in your Well, I mean, there's fork. instructions with it. Like, you snap it on the bottom of the top. You're seeing all these bad things go wrong. Oh, just drop it in. Somebody, like, drops the air token down inside they the just, fork, and like, just rattles. I don't have any tokens, but I bet if I want to reduce the volume, I could just put these marbles on my fork. Yeah, I just see a guy putting, like – 50 pennies in his. <laughs> would they be 50 pennies or would they be 50 ass pennies? I don't know. They're they're like the you little. You handle my ass pennies. The little pennies you get at like, uh, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or something. Those are the ones tokens. From, I know. The ones from the zoo. That's what I'm saying. The ones from the zoo. Oh yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. <laughs> I, mean, I thought you were talking about the thing where like you destroy a penny and it like makes a lion's face on it. Like no, you know, it like those rolls are cool it. Too. But they probably wouldn't fit in a fork. They would, like, you'd drop them in long ways. Like. <laughs> we used to make uh, we used to make penny sandwiches on railroad tracks. I think it's... Yes, I used to do that, too, because there were... Well, I mean, you live in Germantown. I think it was frowned upon. It was really loud when it happened, too. Like, you know, that, conductor was, that conductor was like, God damn it, <laughs> stupid fucking kids. I always... Because um, we, we would do a quarter, a quarter, and a penny in the middle. Could you actually hear it? Because what I would always Oh, my do, God. It was so loud. So my friends and I would ride our bikes over to Fort Germantown in our neighborhood. And the railroad tracks went right behind that. And we would just, like, lay a bunch of coins out on the track. <laughs> I mean, like, a line of them. We probably put, like, seven or eight of them out there at a time. And then we'd just, go, like, go home and come back, like, the next day and find as many as you could. Because most of them would fall down in the rock. No, we would stay, like, right there. <laughs> In the slight chance that the chain derailed. You want to be right under it. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, God. Yeah, I don't think train conductors like that very much. But I want to go do that now. I have derailed exactly zero trains. That's so good. That's good. Totally safe. <laughs> Just like you fathered zero children that you know of. That I know of. I have derailed zero trains that I know of. So. Me too. Yep. All right, so the next thing on the list is tires. Um, I finally changed rear tires. I've been riding that Icon 2.35 for forever on the rear of my bike, and 
I'd always said that I loved it. I always said that was tired for me, all this crap. And then finally I decided to try something different. Um, I went and rode somewhere that was a little bit more loose over hard than I'm used to. A lot of loose over hard. No, I said that I'm used to. Um, Like, we don't really have that here. We have a lot of, like, dirt. And it's, like, dirt that's dirt. Um, It's not. Sandy dirt. Mostly. Yeah, you have sandy dirt. Sometimes you have like soggy dirt. Sometimes you have muddy dirt. But usually it's just dirt. Um, Rudy dirt. Yeah, Rudy dirt. But no real. And in Arkansas, a lot of the trails are just gravelly. They're not really loose. They're just they're, there's gravel in the soil, like a, a large amount. And sometimes it's more gravel than dirt, but it's, it's still not loose. Uh, it'll be the trail sometimes reminds me of like a gravel road where it's extremely compacted and very like hard and, and easy to grip on. It's like concrete dirt with marbles on top in some places. In Arkansas? No. That's in, a, well, you in weren't listening. Tennessee. I was talking about places I had ridden with my Icon T35 and liked it. Okay. And I went to a trail called Mexico. Montgomery Bell. And, uh, Ooh, there's a lot of loose over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man. Yeah. So I decided to finally, uh, I didn't have any traction braking. That place is sketchy. Are you going to race the race? Mm, it's looking like no. Mm. So I have ridden there, though, and I don't know in what order this came in, but it was a complete coincidence, and I went out there the day of a race, cross-country race, like two or three years ago. Had no idea there was a cross-country race, and the trail was perfect. And I don't know if it was because they had done work prior to it or because, like, hundreds of racers had just gone through there, but it was perfect. Like, all the loose-over, real sketchy stuff wasn't that bad. Then I went back like a year later in the middle of the season. There was nobody there. And I it was, think it depends a lot on how much rain they've had. And yeah. it was awful. Yes. Yeah. So their rain. It was like the worst. It went from like pretty decent trail to like the worst experience of my life. So we talked with some locals in the parking lot. And they said that a, a good rain before the race would take all the dust and turn the dust into like binder for loose over hard. So it would really increase the traction a ton. Maybe that's what it was. When we went, it was really hot. Um, when we went, when it was primo. It was pretty hot. That's all I remember. And it was. It was probably just it had rained. And it was decent before. Yeah. Maybe. I don't the, know. the trails in Colorado are like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it they'll get. Um, like blown super, out. Yeah, just like blown out and just powdery and loose yeah. and just crappy. And if it rains, like it's that's Mike McCormick calling it hero dirt. He's like, hope that it rains the first hour of your race, and then the rest of the day you're gonna have hero dirt. So uh, I tried an Ardent two two five race. Uh, I picked one of those up from outdoors. I got the tubeless one. Uh, I wanted something that just had a... On the rear? Yeah. That's crazy. Why? That's crazy. Why? Why is that? It's like the next... If I wanted to bump up in tread size from an icon... No, it was. It's a a little burlier icon. No, I totally agree. I'm just giving you shit. It's a... uh, What is that other... So there's a cross mark and a... What's the other time? The cross mark was designed in like a cave in like 1937. <laughs> I was trying to cross mark. But what was the other tire? The, the cross mark and the igniter, both of those were pretty. The the Ardent the Ardent race has a larger volume casing. So for those of you out there that are curious, um, I took an Icon 2.35 that was used and it measured 59.3 millimeters wide at the casing, and I put on a. Ardent Race 225, and it measures... It's actually a 2.20, I believe, for what it's worth. The race? Mm-hmm. Okay, but it measured two... It measured... It measured 52 millimeters at the casing new. Same pressure, same rim. 
So it was like a lot narrower. You said 59 to 52? Yeah, that's 7 millimeters. That's a quarter of an inch difference. So the yeah. race is that much smaller? Yeah. It's a whole lot smaller. It's way smaller as a casing. Okay. Huge size difference. That's the store getting a box. You know how cats are with cardboard boxes? Hold on. Matt's got to go and <laughs> scare the cat. The cat's out of the box. There was a dick in a box. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big difference. I mean, it only takes 25 millimeters to make an inch. So that's over a quarter of an inch smaller at the casing. Um, like, I put it on and, like, put it in my bike, and I'm like, yeah, that is nowhere near what it's supposed to be. So, and I haven't done the math on that, but I can tell you shortly. Um, does anybody know? Does Kenny know? I don't know. It's a lot skinnier. Have you, did you measure it after you wrote it? Well, I was going to say an icon measures 2.32 inches uh -huh. and that was written and the ardent is measuring 2.05 inches at the casing so i've written it about 50 miles now so if you wanted to talk amongst yourselves i could go measure it what's our next uh the next topic is is whatever you want to talk about for the next 10 minutes because i ran out of topics that's why I'm we had more topics, didn't we? No, that's like everything that was on the list. You had two lists. No, but I'll what was the one in the car I wanted to talk about? I don't know. I wrote it in your notebook. I don't know where that is. Like we had three or four other topics in your notebook. I don't remember. I don't know where that is. Is it not in your car? <laughs> While you guys are discussing what we're going to discuss, I just want to say that I'm excited about trying the new Shimano 9000 brakes. And that's really it. The mountain bike brake or road yep. bike? Mountain bike. Yeah, the M9000. So they have two new brakes, if you guys are not aware. Uh, they've got an M9000. I don't know what the exact model numbers are. They basically have a race and a trail. Okay. So I want to try out the races. So they're the magnesium calipers, magnesium levers, and a uh, little carbon lever blade. And they're ridiculously light, which is pretty sweet. So anyway, for what it is. I want to try those, and eventually I want to try the uh, I want to try the XTR 1x11, but I'm not excited that the only cassette that I can buy is the super super pricey XTR one. Why would there be anything else? Well, because no, that's fine. I mean, all there is right now is XTR, but down the road, you know, there's going to be like an XT version. So like right now in my 1x10 world that I live in, I have XTR everything, but I run an XT cassette because like I do go through those and. Oh. I really don't like running $300 cassettes. Okay, I know what I want to talk about now. I'm so glad I wrote that down. So, since they're 1 by oh, yeah, 11. That's, that's why I didn't remember that. Why? We talked about it in the car and I told you why it would never happen. Well, you're just a negative Nancy. I just, I just don't think that it's... You are a negative Nancy. Like, I see this product and I see... Just go ahead. So with one by eleven being do you want to so you want to talk about why you want one by twelve, Matt? Because you were talking about that the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm just I'm just making you second guess to yourself. I don't that. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, so with one by eleven being so popular, um, mm -hmm. and the XD driver body being um, a very common thing on wheels. Nowadays. Ooh, ooh, and when you get done with that, I've got something really negative to say about that. So go on. Um, I personally own 
two mountain bikes. One is a full suspension with XX1 and the other is a hardtail with XX1 and the hardtail is convertible to single speed. Um, I have industry nine wheels and if anyone has ever taken the hub apart, it is pretty simple and it's easy to take apart, but you will inevitably um, have one of these little springs if you if you take the poles out um, or if one falls out, one of the little springs will vaporize, um, one or more, will just totally vaporize. Like you, you can take it apart on a, a surface made of magnets and one of the, they, I mean, when you buy the wheels, they send you extra springs. That's how it is. I mean, it's just, you, it's easy to lose those springs. Um, I was thinking it would be really cool if someone somehow made an XD driver body to single-speed conversion. No, I agree. I think that needs to exist. I totally think that needs to exist. But on a really, really, really negative note, I really, really am growing to dislike the XD driver body. Really? And I don't know if the fault is of the driver body or if the fault is of the cassette in the way that the cassette works. Have you had one get stuck? I have warrantied no less than 10 of those damn things. When they get stuck? Both. Everything. Okay, because I've had one get stuck. and you They have get to, like, stuck. You have to use a lock ring and like cram a screwdriver back there and like lever the cassette off of the body as you unscrew the lock ring. Well, that's a, there's there's two ways in which they can get stuck. One of the ways they get stuck is the threads get just completely frozen. And this is one that I personally installed and I greased, even though they don't Kenny grease has, them from the Kenny factory. has beautiful hands too, so he does not put much torque on these things. <laughs> So I greased the hell out of this thing, and I actually used a damn torque wrench. I don't – I am not above saying that on a regular cassette I don't use a damn torque wrench because I generally know just from experience what, how tight they're supposed to be. But I'm all, I'm all nervous yep. with the XD driver body because, A, it doesn't have those little detents that you can feel kind of how tight it's on there, and, B, they're just new. So I went by their torque spec. I used a damn torque wrench and with a ton of grease, and the stupid thing got frozen on there. And I mean like threads frozen on there. I got like a four-foot extension bar on both the chain whip and the regular thing, and it just sheared off all of the internal pieces of the driver body. Wow. Or not of the driver body, of the cassette. Those little black nubs that stick out. Yeah, yeah. Completely sheared all like that 11 That was the weak them. point of, yeah. They just all break. And like, what are you supposed to do at that point? So you have to like forcefully disassemble the cassette with a flat blade screwdriver and rip off the cone part and then take the free hub body off of the hub and then jam the biggest cog in a vise, and then use vise grips to undo that little black part in the middle. It's completely ridiculous. I've done like 10 of them. I'm not kidding. So wow. there's obviously a problem there, and I'm torquing them to spec. Like, there's a problem. That's crazy. So, hey, we'll take that for what it is. Maybe SRAM is working on it. I don't know. Was it a certain... Um, no, all free hub bodies. So I've had two Industry 9s do it. I've had some stands do it. I've had some, uh, some DT Swisses do it. Any American classics? Mm, I've never put one of those on. That doesn't count as a hub. <laughs> so anyway, multiple manufacturers, including DT Swiss, who is like in bed with SRAM on all this stuff. Um, anyway, it, it was a little bit frustrating. And, you know, they do replace them. SRAM is always really good about that. So I'll give them that. But it's just me being a little bit frustrated as a mechanic because I hate when people's bikes are down and then i got to wait on the damn new part to come in. Um yeah, it's pretty pretty insane. And then I've had the problem that I think Andrea is describing, where you go to take it off, and it loosens like it normally should. 
But as it's loosening, the cassette's not actually coming off yeah. of the freehub binder. Yeah, that happened to mine. And then the big cog, like, bends because it's part of the cone. And it, like, bends and out of shape. I didn't stuck notice, on there. I didn't notice mine bending. Yeah, because what will happen is the cone wants to come off because it's attached to yeah. the, the black metal piece in the middle. I know that's really hard to describe. Yeah, I've never actually taken one of those cassettes apart. So. Yeah, so anyway, that's the problem with it. I don't know where the problem in their engineering lies. I don't know if it's a problem with the cassette or a problem with the Freehub driver body thingy or if it's just a combination of both, the fact that they made it the way they did. I don't like ever having any kind of interface that is really long and has threads at the end of it. It just doesn't work well. Like when you have, I don't know, it'd be like having a nut that's like, you know, a foot long and, you know, you it, it's just going to twist in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. that's the whole problem with the damn thing. So I think they need to revisit that. Um, unfortunately, they probably never will because they've already, like, gotten all these people to make this new part and all this stuff. But somebody just didn't think that one through. I'm sorry, Sram, but you just didn't. So we'll see how they work in the future. I can't believe more people aren't having problems with it because I, mean, I guess people... You know, it might be like the the previous version indie wheels where people are having problems and like and stuff but then they're like ah oh, you know but this is like the really nice expensive stuff so I, I don't really have a problem yeah I, I don't know i don't really know what the deal is with that I, again shram is is always good they step up and if there's a problem they've always what replaced they do it in the instance like mine where it's sticking uh you just have to in any way you can just rip off the cassette and if you ruin it which i usually do they send you a new one. Okay. Well, what we ended up doing was we took her free hub off and then put a screwdriver behind it and wiggled it off that way. Yep. I usually just break them and get a new one. I can do that too once mine's worn out. Yep. So again, <laughs> it's a shame that SRAM does that, but you know, again, at least they have decent customer service and they do replace the part. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know where the problem lies in that. Now that is a little bit easier of an issue. That is a tolerance problem either with their manufacturing or with the free hub body. But why the threads are getting stuck on there, that's another, well, that's a whole nother animal. It, it, the threads are cut and then the product's anodized. So if it's over anodized, if the anodizing's too thick, the thread tolerance would get too tight. I think there's a lot of things that come into play actually. That it's an aluminum, it's an aluminum sleeve with aluminum threads on an aluminum say, free hub body. Like I think there's some like maybe oxidation that goes on there. And also the fact that just the way it works and the fact that you have to it's a really thin piece of metal, and then you have to wrench on it on the outside, and the threads are proportionally way on the inside of the thing, and, and I don't know. it the, the things will not come off. I mean, I would get it off if I could, but I just physically broke it getting right. them off, and I can't do anything more than break them. So I don't know what they expect me to do. And again, these are torque to spec. That's what's really frustrating about it, with grease. Um, so with another interesting little tidbit is they ship them with grease now that you didn't used to. Oh. So they obviously know there's an issue there. Um, and I've been greasing them since day one just because I thought it was sketchy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, of course you would just grease threads. Mm -hmm. I mean, what mechanic wouldn't see threads like that and be like, I should just put a little bit of grease on here? Yeah. This, needs, this needs a ProGold EPX <laughs> application. I just threw it from my mouth a little bit. <laughs> um, so... I know this is really late in the game. This is a, a question that was sent to us today that I honestly don't know anything about. Um, the Eliminator? 
Yeah, the World Cup or the Cross Country Eliminator, is that something that will catch on more? I'm pretty sure the Eliminator got canned after yeah, this weekend. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought, that that, that was the last Eliminator. Because uh, Sue Haywood said something about, I didn't think Eliminator would last long. Super D is where it's at. More coverage for that probably to come soon. So, sounds like the World Cup Eliminator has already been eliminated. Yeah, yeah. Pun intended. Um I don't know anything about it. I, I don't really watch the World Cup. We do have an Apple TV, which allows you to stream Red Bull TV directly to your television. And I did watch part of the men's race this weekend. Nothing against the women. I just, by the time I turned the TV on, the men's race was on, and I fell asleep. So not that the men's race was boring, but I was tired. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is uh, I don't really think that World Cup cross-country races are that interesting. They kind of look boring as shit, and they're not really that hard. So They're I, not really that hard? The courses... There's some courses that are hard. Dude, are you freaking kidding me, dude? <laughs> These cross-country courses are like the gnarliest shit I've ever seen. They're the downhill courses of, like, 1989. They are, like, kind of rowdy. They're doing, like, five-foot drops and crap on hardtails in the middle of a cross-country race. And These guys are doing rock gardens, like, 30 miles an hour. I still think the courses are bullshit. Did you, watch, did you watch the race yesterday? No, I'm just saying in some no, of but, it. No, but here's the deal. The, the race yesterday, you had to go about three or four miles an hour through the last corner with one line that went from, you went from grass onto pavement. And when you made that corner, you went from grass over gravel onto pavement there was about a half of a line there, and dudes were going so slow and still almost hitting the fence on the outside of the turn. Like, we're taking professionals that make their living doing this, and people that fly all around the world with huge rigs of support, and they can't offer up a course that's a little more raceable than that. It seems like total bullshit. I know that that's one corner of one race. But there's so much wide open grass, like a cross course. There's so much stuff like that that I've seen that just, I mean, it just doesn't look like it's, I understand that they're not racing to have fun, but it doesn't look like the kind of shit that you and I and our listeners would go and ride. Dude. I'm not saying because it's hard. I'm saying like that corner, you, it, it just doesn't look fun. I don't know. I've seen some of those courses and I know that if I rode one of those, that it would be absolutely brutal. I mean, those climbs are gnarly. The descents are, like, unbelievably technical with, like, huge consequences. But I'm and not I'm saying – I didn't mean that they're not hard. I meant, like, they're not – they don't seem balanced. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Like, some of the stuff seems really legit. Well, I think the problem is they try to make it – and I understand. I mean, they need to make money. If, they you know, try to make it crowd-friendly. It needs to be crowd-friendly. That's the problem. They also so, try to make it to where if someone has – someone they, they have to make it where they can pass each other. They have to make it where it's short enough they can go to a pit. and have That's the other chance. interesting part that Andrea brings up is I think I've seen people get back in a race and do well because the laps are so short. If somebody just blows out a rear wheel or something like that, they throw it over their shoulder, they run, they lose a bunch of places, they actually get back in the race. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but that's what they're going for. I think they're going for the whole, like, Formula One kind of mantra, which, yeah. But it, to me, it doesn't match cross-country. No, it, it doesn't match what traditional American cross-country racing is, for what that's worth, which is like a 10-mile loop, generally, of pretty, honestly, pretty flat terrain. <laughs> well, yeah, but 
I just think it could be maybe let me when I say it's not hard, that's not really what I meant. Maybe I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Like I it's not centered around the I don't feel that it allows the racing to be quite as racy as it could be. I think it would be extremely different if they weren't trying to make it spectator friendly. Right. So yeah, it, it it sucks. I mean, it you know you don't get recognition for the sport if people don't want to watch it, and then yeah, like you got to watch it on Red Bull TV because it was a short lap where they could have cameras where you can see most of the course. So I understand it, it's it's a man, it's a lose lose, which sucks. But they can't, they have to make it they have to do something to make it entertaining. You know, they have to put a and those people are are legitimate riders too. I mean, it's not. I I'm not doubting them. Okay. I'm almost saying like, but like when I see like. Nino, the dude that rides his tubular tire 650B bike and rages through a rock garden that has rocks in it the size of a kitchen chair. And then he goes through a corner mm-hmm. at like four miles an hour. Well, I mean, that, that should a, be. That was a bad spot on the course. I mean, with his. The, I don't know. No. Did you hear any of them complaining about it? Did they all have to go through that same corner? I mean, it's just really frustrating to me to, like, see that. And, like, part of the course was a pump track. Really? That's awesome. That would be so much fun. Don't you think that would be fun? (laughs) Uh, Whatever. I hope Ben will just show Matt to negative Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or at least just slips that in there somewhere. He doesn't have to title with that. Because you haven't been a negative Nancy the whole time. No, I just don't. I don't. Ever since I've ever watched cross-country mountain bike racing, I've kind of been like, that's kind of weird. Like, it doesn't look... Yeah, it's not what we're used to. I usually, whenever I watch it, I mean, I'll admit I don't go, like, seek it out to go watch it. But when I do end up watching a race, what I'm floored by is how technical some of the descents are. And these people are just like wide open, railing the shit With, out. With like of them. a saddle poking them in the chin. Oh, it's just and they they like it looks so goofy, and you're like, this guy is about to crash, but like they don't care because they're gonna go faster than the guy behind them, and it's really crazy. And the women too, especially like they, the women I noticed that there's the biggest split in what they do on the course. Like if they have an A, B, and C line, uh-huh. there's only like three or four women that take the A line. Yeah. And all the others take the B and C. And I think it shows like just how difficult the courses really are. Like they are really, really gnarly. And most normal this, people would get out there and like if I got out there this A line on what bike? Yeah, if I got out there on my jet, I would be like, Yeah, you've gotta be freaking kidding me. Like I would never drop off of that. <laughs> and let alone do it like fifteen laps in a row. That's insane. While your heart rate is yeah. pegged. There was a race where one of the where, like, there was ladies wanting to down on the last lap at the last A-B section. The girl had been following somebody down the B lines, and she, like, attacked the A line on the last lap and, like, put, like, yeah. 10 white links in and just, yeah. like, destroyed. That's a good strategy, too. So. And see, the last races like that allow them to use that sort of strategy of, I'm going to stay with this person until the last lap and... Then do something real gnarly. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get you, I get what you're saying. Um, but at the same time, like, it just doesn't. It seems like really long short track or like dirt crit or something. Yeah. Like, 
it just doesn't to me seem like again what we're used to and what I've written. Yeah, they're manufactured is I think most people's main complaint is it's like a very manufactured, manicured kind of course but it has gnarly elements thrown into it. Right. So, well, it's, it's 8.37. We've been 67 minutes of just riding along action. Um, Hot just riding along action. Like always, you can go to the app store on your respective device and you can download this thing um, where you have the app and you can listen to all the podcasts all the time. If you're not a member, you The won't, Mountain Bike Radio app? Uh, yeah, the Mountain Bike Radio app. Um, you won't get some of the episodes because you are, if you're not a member, um, some are members only, not ours. We're not that cool, but Kelly from Apex Nutrition, some of her stuff is members only. I'm not really sure about much of the other stuff. Um, if you wanted to buy some really cool Mountain Bike Radio gear, you can go to store.mountainbikeradio.com and, and buy it there. Um, Ben has great stuff for you to peruse and throw down your hard-earned brake pad money for because um, none of the stuff in the store is really more expensive than a set of brake pads for your bike. And I think that's it. Um, if anybody out there has a low 29er full suspension bike they want me to, I'll do it. Um, always down to give some reviews on your full suspension 29ers, whether they're glowing or full of hatred. I don't know what that would be, but... <laughs> Matt is not amused. <laughs> he doesn't expect it ever. I, I don't find it to be funny, ever. <laughs> That's why it's so funny. It's not funny. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, someone send Matt a full suspension 29er to race in two weeks. That would be really good. What's in, what's in two weeks? That's when the state championship is. Oh, okay. I did two pretty big rides back-to-back this weekend, and I decided that there's no amount of low pressure or titanium seat posts that are going to make my hardtail that comfortable. So. Are you going to try to win 19 to 29? Push the button and touch the racket. Um, yes. Are you going to drop it? No, yes, you won't drop it. It'll just shock you a little bit. We we got one of those electrified fly spotters, and I'm trying to get Ryan to touch it. If you're gonna do it, do it like on the elbow. Would be my advice. There you go. Sorry. On the finger hurts pretty bad. Are you ready to go? Uh, we were trying to wrap this up, and you just wandered off into like yeah. another land. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan just chucked himself with the fly spotter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will resist the urge to push the turn down from what button one more time. <laughs> this has been another episode of Just Riding Along brought to you by Pro Gold, the turn down for what button, and Pro Gold again. <laughs>